It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. Hey, Star! 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 The San Jose Sharks present the 2021 Season Preview. Brought to you by SAP. The best run SAP. Here's your host, Dan Rosanowski. Welcome to the 2021 season. It's time to take a look at the San Jose Sharks and get really excited about a 56-game schedule that commences on January 14th. I'm joined here by my broadcast colleagues, Randy Hahn and Brett Hedekin. Guys, great to see you. I'm glad that everybody is healthy and getting ready for the year. Uh, Randy, it was a very interesting campaign last year in so many ways. Not a lot good happened for the San Jose Sharks, but there were some uh, little pieces of light that came out of a dark cloud. Well, you know, anytime you go through a season that uh, involves a coaching change, that's not a good thing. Uh, and then as it turned out, uh, the Sharks didn't make the playoffs and couldn't even make the expanded uh, return to play uh, teams that went into the bubble. So it, it's been a long, long time when you think back to mid-March when we were all sitting uh, in Chicago on that cold night and then all of a sudden found out that everything had taken a crazy turn. First of all, I'm just concerned that the three of us still know how to do this thing because it's, <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, I've been rehearsing lately talking to the dog uh, and, you know, just working on some of my play-by-play -play with, with the pooch. So, uh, so far the reviews have been good. I've been getting the odd nod and the odd bark, but uh, back to your uh, narrative, Dan, about last season, uh, there wasn't much good that came out of it. Quite frankly, uh, we saw the emergence of a, a young defenseman who shows a lot of promise in Mario Ferraro, but uh, it, it was, uh, it was an unsettling year. And um, it, it culminated at the end of the year with, with something even more dramatic. And that was the departure of Joe Thornton. So it's a, it's a brave new world here in a lot of ways, even though a lot of the faces remain the same from last year, but there's also a lot of reasons to be optimistic that the Sharks can find their way into the top four in this new uh, Western division. Eddie, this is kind of a crazy situation, but uh, we've had a couple of lockout seasons before where we've had 48 game schedules. Very unique scenario here with the 56 game campaign. A lot of road games and a lot of two game series, which sort of simulates a playoff situation. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting year all around. And, uh, you know, coming back this year, if you didn't have people like Eric Carlson and Brent Burns and Logan Gensure and Tomas Hurdle and Evander Kane and Timo Meyer, you might think, boy, there's a lot of, you know, doom and gloom out there. But, boy, you got these players coming back. Uh, you hope that they can stay healthy early in this campaign. Uh, you're right, Dan. It's going to be two-game segments where you're playing a team. You can kind of settle in, right? You know who you're going to battle. Randy, you mentioned, you know, finishing at least in the top four of these eight teams. I definitely think that's possible. And you look at everybody, you know, really having a hard look in the mirror from last year, having a disappointing season. Are they going to rebound? And boy, it's really up to them to decide. What about the division, Randy? I, I, I think that's going to be really interesting. You have the three California teams and, and you've got a couple of others. The Sharks should be in a decent position. Well, you know, it, it, the possibility exists to get into that top four. Will it happen? Well, I, I don't know what you guys have been reading and hearing in the hockey media in this uh, in this training camp period, but I haven't heard a lot of people pick the Sharks to make the playoffs. In fact, I've I've seen the opposite. I've seen a lot of people uh, figuring that this is going to be another down year and they're not going to make the postseason. But I look at the division, and uh, I think you could debate uh, who's the top team uh, going in. Is it the Vegas Golden Knights with the addition of Alex Petrangelo? Uh, is it the Colorado Avalanche who, who, who pretty much stayed pat, but boy, are they loaded with, with some amazing players led by uh, Nathan McKinnon and all the way on down. And then you've got the St. Louis Blues who uh, 
are just a year removed from winning a Stanley Cup. And, uh, you know, often, and Hetty can speak to this, it, it's tough coming off a long cup grinding year and then coming right back and being there again. But after a chance to catch your breath, you know, maybe you can get back there. So for my mind, in my mind, and this is no bullet, and those are the top three teams. After that, if you look at the rosters of Arizona, Anaheim, L.A., um, and uh, and on down through the rest of the teams left in the division, the Minnesota Wild, the Sharks, to me, have the best roster. Um, of course, the issues are keeping the puck out of the net. The goaltending for the last two years hasn't been good enough at the starting goalie position. So that's where I think a lot of people are predicating their prediction going into the year on that Martin Jones hasn't been able to stop the puck with the frequency he was two, three years ago. And that's why the Sharks aren't a, a playoff pick. But, you know, we've, we've got the knowledge of all the work that Martin Jones has done in the offseason. Uh, Devin Dubnik coming in, who's got a lot to prove as well. I mean, he's, this guy's looking to reestablish his career here after the Minnesota Wild uh, chose Alex Stalock, the former Shark, over him. So there's a lot of reasons for those two guys to want to prove a lot of people wrong. And if you ask me, that goes all the way through the Sharks roster. These guys know that nobody expects them to do anything this year. They expect this team maybe a year from now to be in a big rebuild because this team needs to be taken apart piece by piece. And there's a lot of proud players on that uh, Sharks roster that are going to say, uh-uh, we are good enough. And Hetty, you mentioned a lot of those names. Uh, these are proud guys. These are elite athletes. These are some of the best players and have been in the NHL. And uh, I think the Sharks have a really good shot to certainly, uh, you know, contend for the number four spot. Maybe better if things go their way. It's great to have the general manager of the San Jose Sharks, Doug Wilson, join us on our season preview. Doug, first of all, it has to be great for you to just get back to hockey. Well, it is. It's been a long time coming and uh, can't say how uh, can't say enough about how proud I am of all the, the way the guys have come back, the coaches, the players and, and the training staff to make this all uh, a viable. Doug, uh, Bob Bugner really stressed in our conversation with him the need to rebuild a winning culture as near the top, if not at the top of his list throughout this camp and heading into an unusual season, to say the least. Where is was that? issue on your list of priorities heading in and as we head toward a season? Well, it's right at the top of the list. I mean, how you start the year and the preparation is the key that, um, you know, and, and our top players came in and they've set the tone here in camp. Um, uh, you know, the importance of details of focus, playing the right way, especially when you have a new coaching staff that's implementing a new system and how we want to play. But again, I can't say enough uh, how focused the group has been right from the second that we got here. The fact that you don't have exhibition games and how important every meeting, every practice is, the, the group has really been outstanding. Yeah, Doug, when thinking about, you know, all the things that you have prepared for this season, your, your staff and, and you in particular have to think about the future as well. And thinking back, just if we reflect a little bit on this last summer and the work that your staff did, you and your staff did acquiring 16 players, nine of those that you drafted, seven free agents, um, but overall, looking at that group that you collected over the course of the summer, 13 of those were forwards, only two defensemen and one goaltender. Can you explain a little bit to the fan and to us, you know, what was the philosophy going into the draft? Was it, you know, heavily weighted towards forwards or is it just one of those things that you see a need within your team looking down the road? That's a great question, Hetty. It was a combination of things. One, you want to take the best players available, but this draft in particular was very heavy uh, in, in talented forwards. So we were uh, able to acquire and I think replenish our entire system in that area. Um, I think we've got, you know, we've got some goaltenders in our system that we really like that we're excited about. We've got some young defensemen that we're really excited about. The opportunity and the fit and, uh, and the availability of what we were looking for. We're trying to match uh, acquiring players that fit with where the game is at and where it's going. And uh, I'm, I'm telling you, our scouts, uh, did an outstanding job considering that we didn't have a combine in Buffalo. We had to do probably 170 Zoom interviews. Uh, uh, so you didn't have all the information you wanted, but the work was done. And we're very pleased with the way uh, the draft has uh, played out for us and how a lot of those guys are playing right now, uh, whether it be in their college or over in Europe. And uh, uh, so we're excited about where that group's going to be. 
Well, we got certainly a, a little bit of a taste of that in the World Juniors with a couple of the prospects for the Sharks really looking solid there. But now coming into the season, Doug, you've got obviously a 56-game schedule, and you've got some new players that have to integrate pretty quickly. Uh, Ryan Donato, Matt Nieto coming back uh, has an advantage perhaps because he knows the drill here, but also Devin Dubnik in goal. Tell us a little bit about uh, those guys, and I, I shouldn't forget about Frederick Handemark either, who is a guy in his mid-20s that's uh, looking for a spot. Well, I think, you know, we have a lot of competition in a lot of different areas in our organization. You know, obviously uh, with a 56-game schedule, no exhibition games, you know, making your decisions to start the season uh, and then having a taxi squad. This is all unique and different. Uh, but you've seen players come in expecting to make this hockey team, and it's, uh, it's not really what you say, it's what you do. They've come in ready to go. Um, there's competition in the nets. Uh, we have four goalies, uh, Melnichuk and Kornar. I mean, they're not going to go away either. They're going to push. Um, we've got probably four or five defensemen uh, competing for one or two spots. You've got a bunch of forwards. Uh, Noah Greger and John Leonard have come in and have looked outstanding, as is Ryan Donato. Um, you know, it's uh, Shemaleski's look good. Uh, Nishas look good. Pashtunak. I mean, what's exciting is we're going to have very difficult decisions uh, just because of the competition level and how players have come in. What you don't want is to not have tough decisions. And, uh, you know, the next little while, how the season starts, um, uh, you know, we're going to need probably 30 players. And uh, not only just being on the road, but the taxi squad, philosophically uh, having players, some being the taxi squad, some being uh, able to play games with the Barracuda and making decisions on a daily basis on who's ready to, to help us and play. Doug, Matt Nieto talked about his time in Colorado, and he made an interesting comment about the success there being owed to the fact that players had roles. They knew those roles and stuck to those roles. Maybe not so much with the younger players that you're evaluating as you pick this team, because some of them still have to prove themselves. And maybe there's no ceiling for some of them in your minds yet. But maybe when you look at some of the older players and the veteran players as you assemble this group, is that what you have in mind? Are you plugging players in here to put into specific roles for success? Yes, you, you are. You know, that's why Matty Nieto bringing him back is so important to us too. But Again, your best players have to be your best players. And in all fairness to, to, to Bob Bugner, I mean, it was very disjointed last year with when your best players, three of your best players are out with injuries, it, it elevates people into roles that they're probably not ready to be in. Our guys have come back extremely healthy, extremely well-rested and ready to go. And it allows you to do exactly what you're talking about, have the competition for specific roles. Uh, give you an example. Noah Gregor has had an outstanding camp and, and he's uh you know, he wants to take that third line center role. Um, John Leonard has come in and with his skill set playing in the top six, uh, Ryan Donato. Then you've got the Handemarks and the Shellmans and the Trues all competing for that fourth line center. And you've got Patty Marlowe that can play a, a myriad of positions. So, yes, there's roles that uh, guys are going to have to come in and, and seize those opportunities. But again, your top guys have to establish taking the top roles, whether it be the power play or penalty killing or, or important minutes. And then everybody else has to battle for those spots and define roles that you're referring to. Yeah, Doug, and, and you reference the 56-game schedule. You reference, you know, the young players stepping up. And really, when you think back of last season, those players, because of those injuries, had opportunities last year to kind of get their feet wet, which is exciting to see them come back and now really be ready to take jobs. But how does my – I guess my question is, is when you're looking at a 56-condensed schedule that you have now – you're playing your only division. You've got four teams that'll make it. Do, does the conversations with Bob Bugner and the urgency to make calls maybe sooner than you might, you know, would in the past in an 82 game schedule because of trying to get yourself into that four spot or three spot or wherever into that playoff race, you know, what are those conversations going to be like and how much more urgency will they have with Bob Bugner and making calls earlier? Uh, very, very true, because you are playing against the, the rivals. You know, you're playing eight times against the teams within your division. So um, those decisions are going to be very important. You might have different roster and different uh, players in the lineup against different teams. You might need different ingredients, for example. So, um, you know, using the taxi squad, uh, using some guys that maybe they don't play the opening couple of games against Arizona, but they might be needed against St. Louis or Colorado or Vegas. Um, so all the evaluations that are taking place right now uh, in this unique year, you're going to earn equity with the coaching staff. It's extremely competitive. I mean, I, I can't say enough. When the guys come to the rink right now, they know they can count 
Um, they also know that without playing exhibition games, you're getting evaluated in a practice or a teal white game. So it's the same for every team around the league. It is unique, but I think, uh, you know, the discussions that we have and, and the players clearly understand uh, they've got to be ready and show what they can do. And they could be in the lineup one day and out the next day. Um, that healthy competition is a good thing, Hetty. One thing that we know is that the Sharks have already had to endure some adversity, Doug, because you're the only team in the NHL that hasn't been able to have training camp in your own practice rink. And obviously in the early part of the season, you're going to be playing your home games in Arizona and not at SAP Center. Add into that that uh, you do normally have an advantage with having the San Jose Barracuda basically in the same building. But now you've got this added element of the taxi squad. And I wondered how that's going to work into how what your philosophy is going to be in, in utilizing those two elements uh, given the fact that you also have salary cap management issues to deal with and the fact that Anaheim and L.A., two teams in your division, have moved their AHL teams, uh, one to El Segundo and one to Irvine. Well, the first part of your, your, your question is we don't worry about what we can't control. And we've truly embraced, you know, the uniqueness of right now. And the guys are kind of rallying around. It's a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Uh, we will have the Barracuda wherever we are playing. So we'll have access to those players. We all have to... Uh, uh, with the protocol and the testing, make sure the players are accessible. So we're going to have the same testing for the for the Barracuda players to be able to bring guys up and down. You'll have guys being on the roster, on the taxi squad. Um, we want young players playing, you know, uh, the ability to have some of the exhibition games early that the Barracuda will be able to play. We'll get some guys some game time. Um, there's other guys that might be uh, in and out of the lineup, uh, more on a veteran side that could be part of the taxi squad that, as I said, Bob could use in one series or, and maybe not in the next. So we're going through that philosophically. We're comfortable with where we're at. All we try and tell the players is, look, just, just bring it. Bring whatever you can every day. Um, you know, the best players that are ready to help us are going to go in the lineup. We don't know. You know, some people feel that younger players have a distinct advantage because of the youth and energy that they have. Um, and some of them have been playing more recently, some of them over in Europe, where they can step in. And then some of the players that um, you know, haven't played for nine months or whatever. It might take them a little bit longer to get going. Um, but all I can say is our guys have come in ready. Um, you know, I, I'm impressed with our best players, just how they look and the attitude that they're carrying, because it's, it's, um, it's allowed the younger players to flourish and, and really understand the importance of, uh, uh, getting off to a good start. Doug, thanks a lot for joining us on this segment. It's all very exciting. And we wish you the very best as this thing transpires. Well, thank you. I can't wait till we're all back together again, guys. Our season preview continues with the head coach of the San Jose Sharks, Bob Bugner. And Bob, you've just got to be thrilled to be back on the ice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've been waiting a long time for this. And I think, uh, um, you know, the biggest thing I think with the coaching staff is putting a plan together um, after this long. No one's been through this kind of a break and, and uh, um, you know, essentially a 13-day training camp with two mandatory days off. So 11 days to try and get your team ready to play uh, um, with no preseason games. It's unique, but uh, um, so far I, I, I love how the plan's evolving. Bob, the nature of the beast is such that in all pro sports, when a new head coach comes in, he usually doesn't inherit a winning situation. There's a list of things that have to be fixed. And I know from the onset of camp that you stressed that you felt one of the most important things you could do this year would be to reestablish a winning culture. And you also referred to a culture package that you presented to the players at the start of camp. Can you elaborate a little bit on that package? It sounds like the building blocks of what you want to see happen. Yeah, you're right, Randy. It's the foundation of everything that's going to happen here. And, uh, um, you know, by by going out and studying different uh, um, different franchises and teams this summer and reading books and, and talking to, you know, other coaches that have won in sports, um, you know, I got a, a great idea. Um, you know, on some of the things I've went through as a player, I've had a great idea of, of what I thought would work for our team. And, and uh, um, about two weeks ago, before we came to training camp, I had a Zoom call with about 75 of us on their staff front office staff, hockey ops, management, uh, scouting staff, players. Um, and we established a new thing we like to call Sharks Code. And, um, you know, basically it's the 10 things that we are the building blocks to our foundation, what we think is important, um, describing our identity as a team and, and what kind of team we are and, uh, and the who we are as a team. And, uh, um, you know, we've adopted some new, um, you know, catchphrases and quotes and words and, um, if you if you were here right now in Scottsdale, you would see it all over the hotel, uh, everywhere you go, it's in your face. And uh, 
um, you know, we have banners and our, our dressing rooms are decked out and, 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 and all this language. And uh, um, it's something, it's not just the banner, it's not just the words, but what they mean. And we had a really good uh, chat as a team about, um, you know, what went wrong last year, um, how we tried to go about fixing it last year, what didn't work, uh, and what we're going to do for moving forward to, to make, this, uh, make this plan and execute this plan. And I think all the guys really um, were really sort of had their eyes open and, uh, um, you know, were, were sort of taken by the whole thing that, uh, um, you know, it was not just about coming to training camp in the X and O's, but this was the first thing we talked about. Just one of the things that really was a building block and maybe a, a staple for you guys last year was your penalty kill. Um, obviously, Melker, Carlson, Barkley, Goodrow, two real big pieces of that puzzle. Um, you know, who are some of the guys that are going to fit into that hole now uh, that can really continue to do something that really worked for you last year that you could build on this year? Yeah, that's what I, you know, Hedy, we said that in training camp when we had our penalty kill day. I think it was after day three or four, we did special teams. And that's exactly what I said. I said, you know, we can't rest on what we did last year. We, we're starting from scratch again. We've lost some good penalty killers, like you said. And, and Goody and Melker and, you know, other guys opportunities to step up. I see Matt Nieto as being one of those guys. I think that, uh, um, you know, when he's on his game, I think he's one of the better penalty killers in the, in the NHL. Um, you know, I see guys like uh, Timo who, you know, got a, got a taste of it last year, but I think that, uh, you know, he could take the next step in that category. He's fast enough. He's big, he's strong. Um, you know, so guys, guys like that, I think need to, you know, need to, to fill that role. Um, I think as you get deeper into our lineup, you know, the names that I think about are the, uh, the Sorensons of the world. I think Patty Marlowe is going to have a role on that. He's still got some great speed. Um, you know, so there, there's going to be a, a Noah Gregor, another guy that I think we can get in and there. So you see some new faces, some fresh blood, uh, but guys that, you know, got to see it from the outside last year and, and got to see how it worked and how hard of a, how hard of a penalty kill it is and, and what you need to bring to the table to be successful. So I'm excited about that. We've been working on a lot of special teams here since uh, day one, and uh, um, you can see it coming. Bob, you've also got a new coaching staff, and obviously with the unique schedule, you have some uh, differences of, of, of procedure you're going to have to have with any coaching staff, but just give us an idea of, of how that's all blending in together and how well you're working with uh, primarily uh, with Rocky and with John Madden, but also with, with Reach and Nabby and the rest of the group. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been great. I think that, you know, the, the the problem I think most people went through in the offseason is is getting that face to face interaction, that face to face time. We did a lot of most of our planning by Zoom and, you know, um, and, and not being able to work together. So day one, when we got here, uh, we got here December 27th. Um, that was the first day we were all in the same room together. And, uh, um, you know, our, our preparation was ready. Our packages were ready and our tech pack and things like that. But uh, um, to actually get in and start you know, building out practices together and watching these guys present to the team and, uh, um, you know, and, and seeing how knowledgeable they are and, and, and what they could add to make me a better coach, what I could try and do to make them better coaches. I think uh, what I love about both of them is that they get it from a player standpoint. They both played, um, you know. The things that they say, um, you know, are, are not just because they want to, you know, be the, hear themselves uh, uh, speak. It's, it's, it's really, it's uh, um, guys that are real knowledgeable. They know the game and, you know, running practices, you can see a lot from a coach, the way he runs a practice, the intensity that he brings when he steps on the ice and, um, you know, how he's getting in there, how he's teaching. Um, there's a lot of teaching going on. And I think these two guys are, are, that's probably the strength I would say of both these guys, that they know the details of the game. And uh, they're, they're both great teachers of the game. Bob, because of his personality and his, uh, you know, Hall of Fame performance on the ice, I don't think it was a stretch to say that in almost all 15 years of Joe Thornton's career in San Jose, it was his dressing room. And that maybe speaks great volume to Joe Pavelski, how he was able to figure that out and still be a very respected leader as captain when Joe was there. Now that Joe's moved on, and Logan is the captain. Does this present an opportunity for Logan to uh, establish that kind of uh, respect and reputation with the group in a different way? I think so. And yeah, I think you could see the, the, the you know, uh, the change in Logan already. I think uh, anytime you got a guy like Jumbo around and, and we all love him and uh, miss him every day. And, and, you know, we know how lovable the guy was and the, and the, you know, the energy he brought to the table, but, you know, sometimes that can overshadow, um, you know, guys underneath and, and, and certain guys, you know, just sort of take a back seat to that. And, uh, 
you know, with without having Jumbo in the room, I think it's allowed Cooch to sort of take a deep breath, grow a little bit, and 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 command more of the command more of the uh, um, you know the attention. And uh, I could see that happening already. Um, you know, he's got a good support cast right now, and obviously Burns and Carlson and. Um, you know, Patty Marlowe has been there forever. I think we have some good people in that in those leadership roles. But uh, um, you know, Cooch feels more comfortable, and that's no slight to Jumbo, of course. Um, that's just you know, Cooch having to take on more responsibility and and uh, you know, and stepping up a little more. And I think that's going to help him as a leader. Yeah, Bob. You know, you mentioned you know Carlson and Brent Burns. Um, well, there's only one team in the league with Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, and Mark Edward Vlasic, and that's the San Jose Sharks. How do you get all these guys to work together this year on, on every given night? How do you bring them together as a group? And then obviously thinking about adding to offense as a six-man group or even sometimes seven defense, getting up into play, adding to the offense. What's sort of uh, your strategy with regard to this group and then adding to the offense from the D? Well, I, I think all three guys understand that uh, – um, you know, they're, 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 uh, um, you know, most important players on the team and, and, and they're game changers. And I think that our best players have got to be our best players. And I don't think that happened on a nightly basis last year. I think that, uh, um, you know, we're going to, into this season, um, having those two big guys on the same unit on the power play. Um, you know, we don't want to get into a, a position where, you know, one guy might feel slighted or the other guy doesn't think he's getting enough. Like these two guys are elite players and they're going to, you know, they're going to be put in positions to succeed. And uh, I think that's going to take care of a lot of things. I think that, uh, you know, Pickles, he's still, you know, I mean, he, uh, he thrives in his roles of being a shutdown defenseman. That's what he loves to do. And I think that, uh, you know, the challenge is out there to all three of those guys. Uh, we don't win without those guys being our best players every night. Um, and that's a responsibility that they have to take. And I think that, uh, um, you know, I could already see, I think, the, the chemistry last year, um, you know, and some of the stuff that went on outside of the, you know, being on the ice, I thought that, uh, you know, sort of stole the energy on the ice. And I think that they realize that. I think that, uh, um, you know, on the other part of your question is is that these guys, um, we're under a different kind of uh, a mindset this year when we're asking our D to get up into play. Not only are we asking them to get up into play, but I think what you're going to see, um, our D are going to be working as a, as a unit of five with the three forwards to create offense in the offensive zone. And uh, um, you're going to see them uh, more active. You're going to see them jumping into holes more. I think you're see, going to see them um, not sitting back, you know, waiting for that low to high play all the time. I think that, uh, um, you know, we want to generate offense. And, we, and what we did in the summer, and you look around, you look at the teams that really use their D and how they create offense. It's it's Carlson and the guys and, and, and uh, um, you know, Orlov and players like that in Washington. It's Hedman and Shattenkirk, guys like that in Tampa. And then you look at Nashville and you look at, um, you know, Ekholm and, and Yossi and Ellis and, and – uh, you watch and how they're generating offense. And it's, it's, uh, um, we need that with our team. We talk about, you know, adding a goal a night and, and trying to be better offensively and score more goals. That's got to start with the two, you know, um, former Norris trophy winners in the back end. And um, how are we going to use those guys, um, you know, as attack pieces? So yeah, I think you're going to see some difference there. Bob, we'll finish up our chat with you here with uh, another segue to what exactly you were talking about there. And that is uh, that uh, in the uh, exclusive play in the Honda NHL West division, you're going to have an almost original six intensity each and every night. That presents challenges not only for uh, the guys that have been here before, but especially for the young kids. Last season, you had Mario Ferraro really step up and become an NHL player. A couple of the other guys had uh, maybe slower starts and needed a little bit more seasoning. But how do you see the development of the, the young players in this cauldron of atmosphere, including some guys like Leonard or maybe Pashnik who are doing this for the very first time? Yeah, I think it's going to be a, uh, um, a major change for these guys and uh, um, to see what kind of intensity it's going to be. First of all, especially playing, um, you know, back to back on the road against the same team twice in a row, um, you know, and obviously we're going to see a lot of the same teams here. Um, and I think that, uh, um, you know, it's a, it, they got to be able to lead on the older guys and the older guys got to bring them along. But, uh, um, you know, you get a guy like Mario and, 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 you know, nothing seems to phase this guy. He's just a confident kid and he's full of, full of energy. Um, you know, different kids are different ways. And uh, um, that's why you got to count on having good leadership, um, you know, making sure from the coaching side of things that you're putting them in roles to succeed and, and, and creating a great environment for them. But, uh, um, you know, 
I think it's it's I think in the today's new NHL with the cap the way it is, I think a lot of teams are going through this. I think you're seeing that uh, um, you know everybody's bottom six or, th- or or third and fourth line is sprinkled with some young guys that don't have a lot of experience, and uh, you know they're learning on the you know, learning, getting thrown into the fire and learning uh, uh, by the day. And uh, that's no different than I think what we're going to go through. Bob, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Our Shark Season preview continues on the Sharks Audio Network. I'm Dan Rusinowski, along with Randy Hahn and Brett Hedekin. Guys, as we look to the upcoming season, there's always a lot of excitement. But outside the Bay Area, there aren't too many people that are picking the Sharks to even be a playoff team. And yet, that gives the Sharks motivation and something to prove. When you look at everybody, you know, not looking at the San Jose Sharks as, as making that top four in the playoff situation um, and looking at the roster of which the Sharks have, the one thing that's been talked about early on from Bob Bugner and the coaching staff, obviously he's got a new coaching staff with John Madden and Rocky Thompson uh, joining him. Um, you look at, he talked about team togetherness, team building. He talked about, better chemistry. Um, when you look at the roster and you say, what happened? What's wrong? Why can't this team play better? Why can't they win more hockey games? For me, it really goes and dives deeply into what Bob Bugner is talking about, which is team chemistry. And you've got all of the makings to be a great hockey team, but it's going to be the same sort of story that we saw last year, unless they get this team firing on all cylinders, playing as a group, playing as a team, not worrying about who's getting the points as far as offensively. Yes, this team needs particularly guys like Brent Burns and Eric Carlson to have spectacular seasons offensively. But more importantly, it's how do you how do you take maybe a little bit less to produce more as a group? And I think that's going to be a real big challenge for the coaching staff early in training camp to get this team firing in all cylinders. Going to your other point, Randy, as far as Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik, both these guys have a lot to prove. And they're, they have something to, if you really look down the road a year from now, as far as Martin Jones, if he has another tough season, you got to ask a hard question is what's going to happen with Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik. It's identical. So I don't need to, you know, I don't need to tell these guys that right now. They know that these are, these are proud players, as you mentioned, Hunter, and these guys going into the year, they're looking at themselves of having a rebound year. And if they don't, their, their career is really uh, in a tough situation. But overall, they've got a lot of good pieces, Danny, uh, to build upon and something that they can really look at this season as something if they can get them playing together as a group, it's going to be good things. That's pretty great analysis of the goaltending position, Hetty and, and, and Randy. And, and you know, um, I, I think that we've got two guys that really, as you said, have a lot to prove and have a lot of pride, but they've also been working really hard. And we saw a lot of evidence of that near the end of what was the abbreviated season last year. I thought that Martin Jones was progressing and starting to do things right. They've got Adam Francilia in here um, as a goaltending consultant. He's worked with both of these goalies extensively in the offseason, not only on training, but on the mental side of the game of goaltending. And so that, along with what Yevgeny Nabokov was instituting as the goaltending coach, I think is really going to help. But it always gets to back to the elephant in the room, doesn't it, Hedy, that you're only as good a goaltender as sometimes the guys play in front of you. And last season, one of the things that we talked about was that the big three supposedly had to be the top guys on the ice all the time. Eric Carlson injured for part of the season, a lot of it actually. Um, and then Brent Burns and Mark Edward Vlasic. And I'd say that there was only a handful of games last year where they really were all at the top of the game. And that's a big part of what's going on. But, but what do you do with those guys? And, and, and with the emergence of Ferraro and Radim Shimek coming back with a, a better health, how do you manage that defense this year? Uh, well, I, I think Mario Ferraro is a guy that I'm, I'm looking at a lot. Obviously uh, training camp, there's been a lot of talk about him uh, and, and really one of the bright spots as Randy has talked about before as well, as far as last season, when you look at what this guy brought to the rink every day, the attitude to which he shows up at practice. And, you know, over the course of the summer, he, he really watched a lot of film. He was a guy that, you know, how am I going to get better? And the way he looked at that is, being more patient with the puck. And when you're a young defenseman, you don't realize how much time you really do have to make the right play. And when a guy like Mario Ferraro is a smart kid and he's willing to say, okay, I'm going to look at game film from this summer during the summer and how I'm going to improve upon that. When I go back next year, 
that's something that speaks leadership to me, not only on the ice, but off the ice. When you see a young player like this, looking at himself, defining ways in the offseason and getting better and then applying it when the training camp begins. Now, we're talking about a guy that's a second-year guy, and I still haven't talked about Eric Carlson, Brent Burns, and Mark, Vla- Mark Edward Vlasic guys, and, and the three guys that you're telling me that need to lead the way. But I'm telling you that here's a young player that can affect those three guys in a positive way. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing, okay, if these three can't play all on the same page on one given night, which we didn't see last year, we saw little, you know, bits and pieces of, you know, Brent Burns having a good stretch, then Eric Carlson, then Mark Edward Vlasic, but we never saw all three of those guys firing together. Can a guy like Mario Ferraro bring those three guys together and inspire them all to be better? That's what I'm really looking forward to watching. And then you've got the other aspect after that. And let's just, for the sake of this discussion here, uh, you know, clearly put, um, let's say for the moment, Ferraro in the top four ahead of Shemek, who's, who's still kind of uh, apparently not 100% healed from, from uh, injury from back in March, but well enough to attend camp. Let's for a moment put them in the top five or top four or five. Uh, you go to depth and, and the Sharks lost a big piece with Brendan Dillon. Uh, let's not forget that. Um, he, he's not here anymore. And I think the emergence of Ferraro and and the uh, the knowledge of what Shimmick could bring physically uh, probably gave Doug Wilson a lot of confidence to make that trade and move Brendan Dillon at the deadline to Washington. Now those guys have to come through, but you start looking after that. Like, wh- where's that depth? Where's that depth on that third pair of defense? And and you know, Brett, to make the run, the big run, you're going to need, uh, you know, all six to be there for you. You're going to need probably eight by the end of it. And, and if those are the top five, then where does six, seven, and eight come from? And that's where things start to get a little interesting for the Sharks. And they're going to have to uh, get contributions from some of these younger defensemen who we haven't really seen uh, do their thing yet. Ryan Merkley comes to mind. He is the Sharks' top prospect. Uh, there's no question about it first round draft pick from a couple of years ago. Uh, He's turning pro this year. And I think it might be a little bit of a high expectation to expect that he's going to start the year uh, in, in the top six. And uh, I I would expect because of the expanded taxi squads this year with the, uh, the whole uniqueness of the COVID year that, that Merkley will probably be around the team uh, until the Barracuda start their season in February, or maybe he will surprise us all and make that jump. But he's a guy I'm really interested to see because really we've only seen video of him and, and the uniqueness of this training camp being in Arizona. We don't have the opportunity to watch him every day at training camp. And another guy who's got to feel awfully at home is uh, Brinson Pazichnuk, the, the uh, captain at Arizona State and just coming off a four-year career there where the Sharks have high hopes for him as a guy who can maybe push through. And he's a little more mature than Merkley, uh, Passage Nuck 23. Uh, but these, th- these are big unknowns, Brett, and you played this position. You, I, I have always argued that breaking in at defense in the NHL is the toughest position to break in at because when you do the job well – it looks normal, but when you make a mistake, there's a chance the puck's in the back of your net and there's very little middle ground there. So it's a, it's a pressure packed position and, and it'll be interesting to see how some of these younger guys and Jacob Middleton's a little older. He's a guy that the sharks have been able to rely on uh, in spot duty. But, you know, after those five who we know about, I'm interested in the next two or three to see who's going to push the, push the envelope here and, and get a spot in the NHL. If, if that happens or if Doug Wilson has to, Uh, near the end of camp, make a move and sign a free agent. You have to also include the fact that you don't have a veteran like Tim Heed here anymore, who had his experience as a pro and who could step in in that situation. But last year, Trevor Carrick played a couple of games. Nikolai Knizhov played a couple of games. Uh, What's really unfortunate is that the season was, for the Sharks, canceled on the 11th of March because they were expecting maybe that Nick DeSimone or uh, another prospect on that team might have had a recall and get some NHL experience. So um, to me, that's going to be one of the, the, the big mysteries of training camp is exactly who rises to the top. One thing I know for sure, watching the World Junior Tournament uh, this season, the Sharks have a couple of defensive prospects that look 
really, really good. But you can't depend on them, first of all, to be here this year because they're not on the roster. And the second thing is it's going to take them a couple of years. So um, I, I think what Randy is saying is exactly correct, that, uh, that perhaps we might see um, a veteran player of some sort end up on the Sharks roster uh, before the year is over if these young guys don't work out. And we, we've seen what happened in the past where you really extend the carrot and hope that the, uh, the player takes the carrot and the opportunity and seizes it. That's what Ryan Merkley wants to do. But uh, the question is, will they do that at the NHL level? And it's going to be hard to judge this year. One thing we know is there will probably be a lot of uh, rotations through the lineup because of the scheduling and part of that, too. Well, I, and, and just to get to what Randy's uh, talking about, how it's a very difficult position to enter into the NHL as playing defense. It's the one thing that I realized and, and understood early in my career is, you know, the nights that I had a tough night when I was young, you know, I didn't sleep very well. And because your mistakes end up in the back of the net. And that's something that when you're a young player, you've got to handle that mentally. That's the first thing. And then secondly, you don't realize that the game is actually easier at the NHL level than it is at the AHL level, or even sometimes college, because players, you can send a bad pass to a good player and they're going to pick up that pass where, you know, you don't realize that you try to be a little bit too refined at the NHL level. It's about execution and it's about making the right play at the right time by not doing too much. Okay. And I think that's where, you get a young player that can step into the NHL that has success. And the reason why he has success is a, because he can handle his mistakes and rebound from them. And number two, he doesn't overcomplicate the game uh, by trying to do too much. I think if any young player, particularly a guy like Ryan Merkley, who you met uh, reference, Randy, who might get a really good shot this year and is a high draft choice for the sharks, they need this young kid to step in, I think this year and get some chances but I think for him to step in and be effective, don't try to do too much, make that simple play out of the defensive zone, and then let your offensive stuff take care of itself. So good job on the defense, guys. I'm looking forward to watching what's going to break down here uh, this year for the defensemen. Really going to be fascinating. And then now it's time to talk about the forwards on the team. Of course, last year, Evander Kane, as you would expect, led the club in goal scoring with 26. Timo Meyer was the team's leading scorer with 49 points. But in 70 games, that is uh, something that they want to improve upon on a points-per-game basis. Logan Couture had some injuries. He's healthy. He is the captain. Tomas Hurdle now coming back from injury. And they've got a couple of additions. Uh, one, I think, that, uh, that everybody knows certainly, and that's Matt Nieto coming back, the kid from Long Beach back in San Jose once again. And Ryan Donato, he was the leading even-strength goal scorer for Minnesota last year, joining the Sharks. Um, I, I look at this roster, guys, and, I, and I, I see a couple of things. I see a lot of promise with these forwards. I see Donato and, uh, and Nieto potentially taking the place, at least filling the void of what Melker Carlson and Barkley Goodrow provided as the number one forward unit on the penalty kill. That's something where the Sharks were number one in the NHL last year, uh, kind of one of the anomalies, because how do you do something that's so difficult as that and not make the playoffs? But that's what happened. But Nieto knows the system. I think that he's familiar with it. He upgrades the speed level. He's got uh, that sort of tenacity. And Donato's that kind of a player, too. That's somebody that can really help. Uh, but the Sharks need big, big production from a couple of other guys that, that maybe needed to do a little bit more. And I'm talking about Dylan Gambrell, Marcus Sorensen, really big years for those two guys to, to provide that extra scoring. And the good news is that Marcus Sorensen, during the course of the pause, went to the Al Svenskin and was just lighting it up and was among the top scorers in the league there. And Gambrell has shown promise and he's developing a little bit. So you, you have those guys fill in. You have Noah Gregor who showed like he, he, he might be an NHL player full-time uh, getting another opportunity might even play a little bit of center this year. And let's not forget that with Joe Thornton gone, you still got Patrick Marlowe coming back to provide some of that steadiness. But Randy, how do you see the forward unit and, and the group there? Well, I, I mean, obviously the Sharks were among the lowest scoring teams in the Western Conference last year. Uh, the, the problems coming out of last year were multiple. The team couldn't score. The team couldn't keep the puck out of the net. The power play was not a weapon quite often. And the goaltending was substandard. So you have to take those things one at a time. And I, I, I think that it's, it's tough to coach players up to score more goals. I, I just don't think that it's that simple. It's, it's a collective thing with the group. 
you know, for, for my money, Logan Couture is the best forward on the Sharks. Uh, he's proven it, especially uh, at money time in the playoffs. He's been one of the best uh, playoff performers in the NHL over the last four or five years. Uh, but Logan, you know, he, he, like everybody else in the group, just he, he had a season. It wasn't a great season. It wasn't a horrendous season, but it was just a season. And, and I think now with Joe Thornton's presence no longer in the dressing room, I, and I'm not saying that Joe held Logan back or anything like that, but it's tough to be the captain of the team when the former captain of the team and the guy who stirs the Sharks drink is still sitting in the room. I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, it, Joe Thornton overshadowed everyone. And that included Joe Pavelski when Pavelski was the captain, but Pavelski figured that out and he figured out a way to do it. So now it's on Logan Couture to figure that out along with the leadership that's needed from around the room. It's, you know, Logan's not going to lead this team. You know, they're not all going to climb on his back and he's going to lead them all. It's going to be a collective effort, but I think Logan, Logan needs a big year here to help pull the sharks back out of it. And, and then it's after that, for me, it's Tomas Hurdle. Uh, he's coming off surgery again, another knee surgery, but he's proclaimed himself to be 100% healthy. And, and for goodness sake, he better be because the Sharks, now that Thornton's depth isn't there anymore, are going to need all the help they can get at the center ice position. And I'm presuming he'll, he'll start the season as the second line center behind Logan on the first line. And then you alluded to some of the other veteran guys. Let's not forget Kevin LeBanc. He's just starting a new four-year contract. He didn't have a great year last year. Um, you know, he was like the rest of the group. It wasn't good. Uh, you know, his plus-minus number for whatever value you give that was awful. So he's got a lot to prove. He's got a lot to prove from the standpoint that, yes, I was rewarded with this contract. And the team is expecting me to be an impact player. Uh, he's going to have to be a power play guy. You know, if you could bottle up what he did in that period against Vegas in that five minutes on that on that power play and then spread it out over the year, I'd be happy with that. But he just wasn't enough of a presence on a power play that just wasn't uh, dangerous enough. And, and Evander Kane, um, you know, he was on pace for a 30 goal year. Uh, that's what you look for from a guy like Evander, and hopefully more. But you also need him to to, you know, carburate his game. He can't be in the penalty box as much as he is. He led the NHL in penalty minutes last year. Um, maybe that's why our penalty kill was so good because we have to we have to keep killing off Evander's penalties. But I, I'm just being facetious there. And and Kane knows this, and he knows what he brings. You want his grit, and you want him to bring his swagger because it's such a big part of his game, and it, and it and it helps him set the tone that allows him to get inside and score goals and things like that. So you can't neuter him by saying you can't be the way you are. But I think he has to pick his spots. And, uh, you know, starting last season suspended after the incident with the linesman, that, that can't happen because of this shortened season. You, you can't have any hiccups like that because this year – a bad 10 days for the team with the, with the way the games are crammed together and with the way the Sharks are, are starting on the road with, what, 10 of their or 12 of their first 14 on the road? You can't have that. And, and Evander knows that, and he's, he's got to uh, alter his approach a little bit, but uh, hopefully he doesn't uh, change the way he puts the biscuit in the basket. And, you know, hopefully this is a year when he could be on pace for uh, even more than a 30-goal year. I think he's that important. You've got to have a one-two combination, a one-two punch down the middle. You have to have Logan Couture leading the way and being that captain, as Randy, you mentioned, the top player in the top forward on the San Jose Sharks. But coming right back on the ice right after Logan comes off has got to be Tomas Hurdle, and he cannot have nights off anymore. This guy, I just, he's got to be a leader, and he's got to bring it night in, night out. I think if you have those two guys down the middle setting the tone on a nightly basis, hopefully everything else around them we'll kind of covet and the umbrella will be built. But, uh, you know, getting to your question, Dan, 56 games, no games off. It's full throttle. A guy we haven't talked about who, who I think you could, at least in the way I read your analysis of hurdle uh, is Timo Meyer. Mm -hmm. You know, this guy ended up being the team MVP, but it certainly wasn't for his first half of the season because he was, he was absent on the score sheet so many nights. He had a real slow start to his season. He got it ramped up. But by the time Timo got ramped up, the Sharks were out of it. 
And uh, I think Timo is another guy, maybe at the other end of the age spectrum and experience spectrum, he's younger and, and he's trending now to being able to be a dominant player every night in this league. You know, it fascinates me when we listen to the NHL media that comes out of the, you know, the major centers like Toronto uh, and, and New York, you never hear anybody talk about Timo Meyer. And it's because they don't watch him. They don't know him, but uh, we do. And we know what potential he has. And I think he fits into that category in your analysis, Brett, of Tomas Hurdle. He's got to continue putting those building blocks into place for himself so that he comes to the rink with an A or A minus game every night. Well, you're, you're talking about guys that, that I have total confidence in. I think Hurdle is going to have a monster year. Um, I think he's one of those guys that wants to be the best, just became a father. That might even inspire him. Timo Meyer, though, is a guy, I agree, that, that needs to ramp it up another notch. And perhaps playing alongside Logan Couture, as he did partially last year, might happen again. Um, I, I think that, uh, that the guidance that he gets from veteran players, as Logan did from Joe Thornton and from Joe Pavelski when he first came into the league, is going to help. And then Evander Kane guiding some guys, too, in, in the goal-scoring department. That'll be a, another factor. But, of course, the real guiders on the ice are the coaches, and we have a different coaching staff. And Bob Bugner really put his stamp on the coaching roster by bringing in Rocky Thompson and John Madden. Rocky Thompson, a very successful coach, was a really tough player when he played, uh, as Boogie was. And John Madden's got three Stanley Cups, so he knows exactly what it takes to win. You throw that in with uh, Mike Ricci back as the NHL development coach, Nabokov continuing with the goaltending, and and Dan Darrow and Charlie Townsend working behind the scenes with video and, and, and uh, analytics. That's a, a very different staff, and uh, it looks as if Bob Bugner is putting his stamp on the way he wants the team to play. And we started to see some of that last year. Hedy, you talked about that a lot during the course of the, the uh, shortened season about when Bob took over as the coach. What changes did he make during the last season that, are, that he's going to ramp up even more now? When you look at Bob Bugner, and, and I just watched him run practices, I watched the adjustments that he made from where Pete DeBoer you know, his system versus what Bob wanted to implement. And, you know, I saw a, a coach trying to be more aggressive in certain situations, particularly his defense, which I think is paramount in the NHL today. You need the defense to be active. You need the defense to what I, hit, I call hit the accelerator in the defensive zone. You can't add to the offense if you start accelerating at the red line. Okay, trying to add into the offense. No, it starts as soon as you release that puck and make the breakout pass. It's already on the throttle, getting up the ice, adding to the offense. And I saw Bob do that a lot. You know, getting to what you talked about in John Madden in three cups, I think that's really important to add somebody to your staff that has seen what winning looks like. I, I think there's a certain ingredient to success that certain players that have seen it, they can see it again, or they can push players into that situation to drive that out of them to correct where they might be stepping off the rails. That's not part of moving towards uh, winning a championship and the attitude that it takes to do that. I think John Madden is a great pickup. Rocky Thompson, again, a guy that when he played was like Bob, they didn't cut corners. They couldn't, right. They didn't maybe have the high skill level like me. I didn't have the high skill level either. So you can't cut corners. You have to do the right things. And I think Rocky Thompson will add that to the coaching staff. So um, I'm excited that, that Bob Bugner, I think, gets it. He understands that this team needs more chemistry. It needs more togetherness first before you can change what happens on that 85 feet wide by 200 length. Before anything changes there, you need to have the fabric inside that locker room being joined together. And I think Bob understands that. I think he really does. So trying to get them to do that early on here in the season, game one, they've got to find a way to bring it together. So uh, that's another piece to this equation within the season. That's exciting to watch, to see what this coaching staff can do to bring this group together. Pretty exciting stuff. And of course, amongst all of that, some opportunities. We've already mentioned one of the younger players on the team uh, that potentially might have a shot. That's John Leonard, who like uh, Mario Ferraro comes out of uh, the program at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. And he had, 27 goals last year, led the NCAA in that department in goal scoring. I was really impressed with him when, uh, when he was at the development camp last year. 
uh, just as a college student, uh, somebody that came in for the for the camp, and he looked very, very important and very impressive. Joachim Blickfeld also looked like he can be a goal scorer at the NHL level. He certainly scored some goals in the AHL last year, but only had a handful of games. And those are two guys that, uh, along with Antti Suomela, who's been uh, with the AHL and the NHL club up front, I think are really important. Of course, Randy, you already mentioned Ryan Merkley. Uh, those are the, the, the players, along with maybe Sasha Shimoljevsky, that uh, might get a shot this year and get an opportunity to play. What do you think? There's, there's another one that I, that I think we haven't touched on yet, and, and there's certainly a lot of forwards at camp, but Joel Shellman got a new two-year contract, mm-hmm. and that didn't happen by accident. He obviously impressed Doug Wilson. He impressed Bob Bugner, and uh, he's a guy that uh, certainly could slot in on a, you know, a third, fourth line basis. So if you're looking at, at forwards in that second six, as you like to call them, Hetty, uh, I would say Joel Shellman is definitely one of those guys who's, who's uh, going to have to be beat out for a job by some of these other younger guys that we've mentioned. Uh, so Shellman's one to, to remember. I liked his game. I, I thought he, uh, he brought some good stuff to the to the mix last year in what was a tough year, and it's it's always tough to gauge you know how good guys are when it's a bad year and it's it's headed uh, the way last year was headed. But I like Shelman. I like Noah Gregor too. I think he he showed uh, speed, he showed uh, tenacity, and he showed versatility. And he's somebody else that I think is going to be in the mix this year uh, for the San Jose Sharks, at least up front. Yeah, I, I think I just want to interject quickly because I think you guys all mentioned some some really great players to watch this season. If you're a Shark fan listening in to see what's the exciting uh, pieces of the puzzle that you might not know uh, very well now that might make a real big impact. Um, you know, Ryan Donato is a player they picked up from the Minnesota Wild, I, I think is a player that um, has got a lot to prove this year. Obviously, uh, you know, making one nine on the season, uh, restricted free agent at the end. Noah Gregor, uh, I, I agree with you, Dan. I fact that I liked his game um, last season when he was recalled and had an opportunity to play. Joel Shellman, I believe you're right, Randy. I think, you know, getting a two-year deal, I saw a lot of really smart things that he did in the defensive zone, not only in the offensive zone, but his reliability in the defensive zone uh, being strong enough and positionally the way he played in the defensive zone was really effective. And that's why they gave him that two-year deal. So all in all, the one player that we mentioned earlier, and Randy, you mentioned, is Timo Meyer. And, and, and you're absolutely right, Dan, as well, when you mentioned his name and the fact that here's a player that the one word that comes to mind for me with Timo Meyer and Tomas Hurdle, these are big body. These are men. They, they, they might be young guys, like as far as uh, Timo Meyer is concerned, as far as looking like a boy, uh, but he's a man. He's a man child in his body. You see him off the ice. He's a big kid. The one word that comes to mind for these two players is decide. Decide on if you want to be an impact player every night, because if you decide to be an impact player every night, when you're Timo Meyer with a big body or Tomas Hurdle, you decide to be an impact player. You're going to be an impact player. 100%, no matter what game you bring, A minus A, uh, you're going to be a guy that's going to be on the score sheet or at least do something within the game that'll leave a lasting impression. So Timo Meyer for me, I mean, there's a red light that's blinking on him for me because if he really decides he wants to be an absolute star where every player and every uh, radio station in the NHL, Hunter, to get to your point, knows who Timo Meyer is. He's got that potential. There's going to be a constant faint, but then increasingly louder drumbeat throughout this uh, unusual season. And that's going to be the countdown to Patrick Marlowe's 45th game. It is on that night, if he plays it this year, that he will pass Gordie Howe as the all-time leader in games played in the history of the National Hockey League, which is an incredible statistic. If he plays every game up to the 45th, the 45th game is April 19th in Vegas. And the question is, will the Vegas Golden Knights fans give a standing ovation to a San Jose Shark? <laughs> I don't know if they're going to do that, but they might They might politely applaud. I think that that's probably what's going to happen. But what you're talking about, Randy, is the amazing career of Patrick Marlowe. The fact that he's played all of these games consecutively since 2009 Uh, Nobody in the NHL history is close to that 
in terms of the age group that he's in. Everybody that has uh, a long Ironman streak is usually in his 20s. Patrick Marlowe is 41 years old, and he continues to take great care of himself, knock on every piece of wood possible uh, for him to continue. And I, I think it would be just fantastic for, uh, for the Sharks to see him do that in a San Jose uniform, certainly. And April the 19th is the date that I've got circled on my calendar, and I know all of you guys do too, because uh, this is uh, one of the great achievements that he would have had already, if you think about it. We missed the season in 2004, 2005. Just throw that in. He already would have passed Gordie Howe. So he's got, uh, you know, a, a game-winning goal against every single team in the NHL except for one, Vegas. So wouldn't it be perfect on the <laughs> night that he passes the Gordie Howe that he does the game-winning play against Vegas? Wouldn't that be perfect? Oh, there man. you go again. Yeah, there you go, Danny. Setting the table just perfectly. What a season we look forward to. I want a, I want a standing ovation from the showgirls behind the net. <laughs> Folks, it's been really fantastic to chat Sharks hockey with you, and we look forward to many more such conversations on the San Jose Sharks Audio Network. He scores! Score! Score! The Sharks season preview has been brought to you by SAP. The best run SAP. Our thanks to General Manager Doug Wilson and Head Coach Bob Bugner for joining us. For Randy Hahn and for Brett Hedekin, I'm Dan Rusinowski saying so long for now. This is a presentation of the San Jose Sharks Audio Network.